Hey there, my name is Tyler Morningstar, and I'm here with my co-host and mom, Carrie Morningstar. This is the Selling Fort Wayne podcast. This podcast is focused on all things real estate related in and around the Fort Wayne area. We'll also touch on some community events and some community outreach as well. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Now, let's dive into today's episode. So this is uh, Selling Fort Wayne. I'm Tyler Morningstar and with my co-host. And mother, Carrie Morningstar. So we took quite a long break. The summer was fun. (laughs) It felt like that long. (laughs) But this is season two for us. Season two, episode one. We are here with Adam Ross of Ross Restoration. But first, we actually have a sponsor. We got a sponsor. Hold on. A legit... A that legit, was a drum roll. A legit sponsor. So let's hear from our sponsor. Looking to buy or sell a home? Make sure you have the knowledge you need with a professional home inspection from National Property Inspections, Fort Wayne, covering hundreds of homes' vital systems from roof to foundations. NPI also offers radon, mold, and pest inspections to give you complete peace of mind. Plus, every home inspection comes with a free six-month warranty. They're a veteran-owned, family-operated business that's proud to serve our local community. Call Blake or Kelly at 260-705-9835 to schedule your inspection with NPI, Fort Wayne's premier home inspection service. By the way, you can get $25 off your home inspection when you mention code NPI25. Thank you, Blake and Kelly. Let's get back to on topic here. We have Adam Ross from Ross restoration here. Adam, kind of tell the people out there, what do you do and why you're so valuable to them? Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, you guys. Um, so I've been in the restoration industry, cleaning and restoration for 22 years now. In fact, it's the only thing that I've ever done as an adult. We make an impact in our community by restoring hope and helping homeowners and business owners to, uh, to, to figure out and navigate the claims process when they have a loss at their home or, or place of work. Yeah, that I mean, you have a lot of experience with that, something like that, the loss and claims and all that kind of stuff. I sure do, because <laughs> I had a fire, and it took my home down to the ground in 2019, so I know a lot about restoration. So can kind of tell us, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but maybe get a little bit deeper into what exa- what are all the services that you provide? So we provide in-house fire, water, and mold restoration services. We used to do uh, carpet cleaning and air duct cleaning, but we no longer offer that in-house. Obviously, we're all living in a staffing shortage right now, and primarily we got rid of those services to focus more on those uh, bigger ticket items and uh, just to help drive those relationships for our key people like you guys that we do, you know, when you're doing a real estate transaction or you have a fire at your house, it's... It's a different beast to tame, and we found that we're much better at taming that that lion. Makes sense. Yeah. What are some of the harder things, like when you say restore mold, water, and fire, do, are one of those way more difficult than the others? Well, so they all present their own unique challenges. So I would say the, the hardest thing for us to restore is when a client has something that they cherish that gets damaged. It could be damage from water, fire, mold, smoke damage. 
And so for us, the hardest thing to restore is the things that, that they need to save or to restore. And when I say it's hard, it doesn't necessarily mean that something is physically broken. It could be that it's damaged and no longer uh, legible, or it could have staining, or it could have smoke damage. And I'd say like right now we're going through probably our, our most challenging job that we've ever done. It's a fire and it was a total loss. And the client has asked us to try to salvage the kids' artwork. There was mm. a comic book collection and there was some items that were made by their grandpa that are irreplaceable. And even though you would deem these items non-restorable, we're going to try to figure out a way to to navigate these different items to get them restored because that's what the husband's asked for, and it would mean everything for him to have that yeah. back. Yeah. Even even more important than the structure being restored, the kids' artwork. Yeah. I imagine your business, the sentimental stuff, is by far the most challenging. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the thing is for us that it doesn't matter what we think about the comic book collection or you know grandpa's chest or whatever it might be. All that matters is that the customer holds on to that dearly and they want us to fix it. And for us, you know, you might have water falling down your ceiling right now when we're at your house, but if that's what you care about, all they want to see us do is respond to that one thing. And if we can make that one thing better, everybody's happy at the end of the conversation. Yeah. I can attest to that because having that fire, uh, losing a lot of pictures and things like that, you know, that was the hardest part of the lost. I didn't care about clothes or and it surely puts things in perspective. You know, Adam, I, you and I were talking earlier and we go back, way back. Um, and I was trying to do the math and it looks like we've gone back like 20 years, even maybe a little further. <laughs> I know that when I have a tough situation, Adam's the person I call. And one of the things I think after a person has a home inspection, um, of course, there's radon, and I'm not sure. Do you do radon mitigations? No, we do not. What I'm getting at is, though, I think I had you come out to a home, too, where we wanted a mold test. And can you kind of explain how that works? Because one of the things that I find interesting is when somebody flips a home, sometimes the basement's flooded, and they might take the drywall off and then just put up new drywall. But I've had where people have had... Um, mold uh, spores that have hung around the heat duct areas and then when the heat would turn on or the air would turn on you know so can you kind of explain how mold test works and why you think it's important absolutely so mold testing is critical to have done if you suspect that there's a, a been a moisture problem in a house before or if there's suspect mold growth we call it three-dimensional growth we look at signs and symptoms of what may have caused it whether it's in an attic or you know a flooded basement crawl space what the mold testing does and kind of how it works is we take samples and with those samples, we send them off to a microbiologist. That microbiologist will then ten, send us back analytics on that that says what the species and spore count is. And then we can basically decode what that means for an indoor environment. Just so you're here, your listeners know that there's a normal amount of mold in every structure. And what we need to find out is if there's mold present, if, if there's species that are present on the inside of the house that might not be present on the outside of the house, then we've got a red flag. Or if we've got a certain species inside the house that doesn't normally grow indoors, or if it's elevated five times or higher, it's important to be able to find a, to, to decode what the analytics says from a microbiologist and not what Ross Restoration says as a mitigator, that the ones that can take care of it, but truly an independent party that can actually hold us accountable and actually tell the client what they're paying for in truth. One of the most common things that we see is, you know, people are Googling mold and they're, they're actually reading things that are, are, are not true and they actually conjure up in their head that they've got a bigger problem than they really do. So even before mold testing, I find that 
the best way we've helped your clients over the last 15 years or 20 years is that we're able to get them the truth and arm them with an education and then let them make an informed decision and not use scare tactics and, and not use those, you know, what I, I think a lot of our competition in the mold industry does. And so that's why we've been working with you for so long because we try to take good care of your people. I want to back you up. I, yeah. I want to make sure I understand something. So if the spore, and maybe I'm botching this, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about. If the spore is on the inside is different from the outside, that's a red flag. Can you kind of explain? Yeah, that's a great question. So let, let's just use one particular species that's commonly found indoors when you have water damage. Um, if that species is showing up present outside, let's just call it in a thousand, most likely because when you open and, do- open and close doors and windows, you have air exchange coming in and out. So whatever's on the outside of the house, we call that your baseline. We take that baseline and compare it to the inside of the house. And when we see red flags like species that are present on the inside that were not on the outside, mm-hmm. or when we see something that's elevated, I say five times, but there really is no standard. Um, There's no EPA like radon has an EPA. Correct. So the EPA tries to stay away from it. The IICRC, which is the governing body of my industry, tries to stay away from it. Because, and here's the real reason why, is your immune system's different than mine, so you're going to react differently than I am to every species, and there's thousands of species of mold out there. So when we see species like Stachybotrys, the, the black toxic mold that you, you hear about in the news, to be honest with you, it means absolutely nothing to us. Because again, it goes back to your immune system. You might be perfectly fine being around Stachybotrys, where I'm going to get deathly ill and you know have asthma flare-up, whatever it could mm. be. But so with the the stachybotrys, what it means to me is that stachybotrys only grows in certain conditions. Moisture content has to be elevated for a very long time for that species to be present. And that's why, to me, it's a red flag. Because what it's saying to me is that there's stachybotrys in this house. There's been water damage somewhere. It's been sitting there for a very long time. Now we've got to figure out what that is and where it's coming from. But again, might not affect you might affect me and so we just got to kind of walk through that process i think too sometimes and correct me if i'm wrong because of my thought process but you know people will say hey the green mold's okay the black mold you know everybody's trying to but what you're telling me with all the different species it just doesn't matter it could be a green mold bothers you black mold bothers you so that's probably why it's really important i think it's important when you have a basement because all basements have moisture. And as I sell a home and I tell someone, you know, this is a basement, you probably should get a radon test. I also feel like sometimes they should get a mold test because basements do hold moisture. And I feel like there's just, like you said, so many different species and with so many allergies that our children seem to have nowadays, it'd be nice to pinpoint something, you know, right off the bat. How do you do a mold test in like a finished basement? So there's two, technically two different types of samples. We call them bulk and we talk, and we have an air sample. So a bulk sample is going to be something specific. It's a cotton swab, a tape lift, or you can cut out like a piece of carpet or drywall, send that off to a laboratory, and they can physically analyze what's on there, what's present. Then the air cell cassettes are basically sponges that you draw air over them, and a microbiologist is going to take that sponge out of that cassette and then look underneath a microscope and literally count the different spores hmm. and then break out the species. Now. When we talk about thousands of species, a microbiologist can't tell every single species under a microscope. What they have to do is basically categorize them into groups that look similar underneath that microscope or that lens, and then basically kind of report that back to us. How much is something like that? Average cost for uh, just the testing alone are about $125 per test. 
And how many do you need in a typical home? That's a very good question. So the the typical testing standards are one per environment. So if you've got, and, and I say one one per floor, each. maybe? What? Is that what an environment means? Per floor or it's per so room? A, as a mitigation expert, to me, an environment means any separate space from another. So we could talk about the room that we're sitting in. This is an environment. But from my my brain, how I see this room is thousands of individual environments. So, you know, let's just say between framing, we've got electrical and we've got plumbing coming through one, you know, one studded wall. The opposite wall might not have the same, you know, electrical and plumbing coming through it. So that's an environment to me, whereas this one over here is a completely different environment. And so therefore, I look at it through a different lens. But the normal parameters for testing might be one per bedroom. Um, when you say one per floor, if you had a very open floor plan, you might be able to get away with up to a thousand square feet. Now, here's a here's something that's great for you guys and your listeners to know that when you test mold, you know, you're taking a baseline. That baseline costs money. That baseline only tells us what's present at that exact moment in time when we take those samples. So if we take a test and we try to cut corners and let's say we only do our basement, but we don't test the main floor, if that basement comes back and it's elevated, the first thing that we're going to say is, well, where else is it? And if we don't test other areas, we really can't accurately pinpoint where it is. And then we've got to start over. Now we've got more additional cost and time associated to doing that because now we have to take that baseline sample again and we still have to test the basement again to try and narrow it down to where this could be coming from. It doesn't happen every time, but it's good information to know. I would think, too, that those would change as often as you open your windows and Absolutely. those types of things as well. So um, that could be a change at any point. Absolutely. I just feel like I know this is going to sound like I am crazy. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but when I go in a house... Believe it or not, I feel like I can smell mold, and I get this really, my throat feels like it's going to close, and sure enough, we'll go down there, and I maybe have only been wrong once. And Once in the 86 years you've been selling real estate? <laughs> Just I'm, once? I'm talking about mold. That's pretty mold. good. Mold. But sure enough, there was mold. Is it possible to smell mold? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. In fact, I have kind of the same phenomenon with me as well. I have a spot on the back of my neck when I'm in a moldy environment, it automatically starts to itch every time. Yeah, I huh. start to cough or, yep. you know, my throat feels weird and I start coughing and sure enough, we'll go like in the back of the basement and there'll be some mold. I'm like, ah. So this is, I got another great one for you. So what you're describing, an odor, right? So your sense of smell increases as humidity increases, right? So the wetter it is, the heavier the air it is, the more you're going to smell something. Doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean that it's mold, but it's going to smell musty no matter what, because if the humidity's up, your sense of smell increases. So what we can do is we can bring that humidity level back down by dehumidification. Every basement should have a dehumidifier to help exhaust moisture out of the structure, especially from spring to fall, every, every house with a basement. And I always tell my clients too, like, look, there is a normal amount of mold in every house. And if you look hard enough in every structure, eventually you're going to find mold. Now, the EPA guidelines and the IICRC guidelines are anything less than 10 square feet can be handled by a professional, provided they're not immune compromised, elders, kids, and pregnant women. Hmm. And so once we arm your clients or potential buyers and sellers with the right information, you know, we look at these reports from home inspectors and, oh my gosh, this looks really scary. We've got black three-dimensional growth on this structure. Well, if it's a couple square feet, really, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Right. Or we've got organic mold. They don't know what it is, and they right. put organic mold on the report, and everyone's like, I don't want organic mold in my house. <laughs> hey, do you have a dehumidifier in your basement? I do. Good. Is it still turned on? It's always running. Good. Perfect. 
I passed the test. Yes. Hey, I'm out of here, boys. <laughs> hey, no, but you Mike know what? Job. Is there is there some sort of what I don't like about a dehumidifier is you always have to empty the water. Yep. Is there any other type of thing that you can do, like a hook up to your furnace or anything well, like that? Of, some of them have hoses and they go right into the sump pipe. That's what mine does. Yeah, but I mean, is there anything else? Well, is okay. there that hillbilly way? No, no, this is a great question. So <laughs> <laughs> there are units now that you buy with an automatic pump out that you can conceal this uh, probably an eighth or three-eighths of an inch pipe or hose that can go through drywall and you could drop it right into your sump pump. Um, your furnace is going to act as a great dehumidifier. So I turn my dehumidifier on at home. I turn it on in, in you know about March, and I turned it off just a few days ago because my furnace has been engaged. The high-efficiency furnaces that we have nowadays are huge dehumidifiers. Oh, so I can turn mine off? Yes. Yep. There's a little fun fact for all you listeners out there. That's something I learned today. Well, he's going to save five cents a month on his electricity bill. Hey, Adam, let me ask you something. You know, I've seen those things where you can buy them and you can put them in your house that talk, you know, they have like the percentage of dehumidity, whatever. What what do I want to say? I have no idea what you're talking about. Relative humidity. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. I wish I could have saved you, but I I don't Uh, know. I didn't know what you're talking about. I'm I'm thankful Adam's here. (laughs) Anyways, should, isn't there a certain number amount? Like, you know how you set your furnace and you know, it's 70 degrees. Isn't there some sort of certain number that you should have to always have the certain humidity level in your home? Absolutely. Yes. Do you think that's imperative for people to have? Because it's relatively inexpensive. Yes. So you can get a hygrometer at Lowe's. Is that what it's called? Hygrometer. Yep. So a hygrometer tells you your temperature and your relative humidity, and it's the first thing as a professional that I look at when I walk into a house. So if you're, and again, the EPA IICRC guidelines are different. Fifty-five percent relative, fifty-five uh, percent relative humidity is is you do not want to go above that, no matter what. Normally, we want to see a house or a structure in the upper thirties or lower forties. Now, if you have a house that's full of hardwoods, real hardwood floors you're probably going to see a RH swing pretty high in a house like that because there's so much absorbent material in that structure. I have a lot of hardwood in my house. And so the dehumidification in the wintertime, I have to shut mine off because my floors will start shrinking in the house. Hmm. So I keep a close eye on my hygrometer. I try to keep my RH in the low 40s. 42% seems to be very comfortable and very good for my environment. But for 10 or $15, you definitely could monitor that. Is what? that why you get static cling Absolutely. sometimes and you get shocked? Lack of moisture, yep. So you, you on your furnace, you can have a dehumidifier or a humidifier on Correct. a furnace. Correct. Do you recommend one over the other? Well, so with a high-efficiency furnace, which is, you know, you're 90% efficient, you keep hearing those terms nowadays. If you have an 80%, you probably don't need to worry about it. But if you've got a, a 90 or above, you should be worried about it. Most of the time, the HVAC guys are going to say, we need to put a humidifier on here because that furnace will take out so much moisture from the air that something needs to be given back. Mm. Um, as far as the, the unit itself, no matter what the efficiency uh, rating is, it's going to be a dehumidifier in theory because you're introducing heat, you've got metal, you've got condensation occurring, and you're going to have moisture exhaustion from that process. So, it, you know, I think every house should have a humidifier. The problem with them is that they represent other, other issues as well. Like? Well, so a lot, on our water side of our business, a lot of the calls that we get are condensation backups from an air conditioner, condensation backups from during the wintertime, and humidifiers can fail. Um, you know, the water in Fort Wayne or Allen County has a lot of mineral in it, and what happens is that water passes over that medium, collects up with mineral deposits, and eventually it clogs up the drain, and then water damage occurs. So if you're going to have it in your house, 
make sure you have it maintenance. Make sure you know how to change that water panel because it should be changed every year. And if you have one in your house right now, go check it out, pull the panel off and look at it. They're pretty scary. If you haven't changed them in a couple of years, they're pretty gross. A lot of buildup. Oh, gosh. I've seen them. Yeah, they're scary. A lot of junk. Yeah. You know, with, with all the new home construction and as tight as we're making the construction mm. now, do you find that that's an issue with Absolutely. with humidity? And plus, uh, you know, the woods, like you said, need to be drying out. You know, I think, uh, what are they, only 60%. So in the first couple of years, they're, the wood's still drying. And yet you hear all the builders talk about how airtight their home is. Yep. What's your thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. So my first thought is this, is if you're doing new construction, think about it for a moment, where you've got a lumber uh, a lumber yard manufacturing and milling this wood, this wood sitting outside until it's put in a truck, it's shipped out to a job site where it sits, then they're framing a house and it sits and everything's open and exposed to elements. I say that it's an important thing to, to kind of think about because just because you see discoloration on wood doesn't necessarily mean that you have a bigger problem in your house. It could just be discoloration from it sitting outside in the elements. It might be mold, but don't panic if you see that. There's a way to remedy it. Now, the next thing is when they build a house, everything going into that structure, and they're trying to build them as quick as they can, right, just for efficiency. And so everything in there has moisture in it. And so now we've got drywall with moisture, we've got mud with moisture, we've got all these new elements coming into a house. And if that house is airtight and it can't breathe and we don't have air exchange, humidity levels are gonna go up. Where we are finding a lot of problems nowadays is in brand new construction. And because the houses are so airtight, homes need to breathe, homes need to have air exchange. As humans, I, I, I believe that we all need fresh air. And mm-hmm. so if we're not supplying it into a house, you know, I get it that we all want to kind of watch our energy consumption and our energy bills, but they're making really neat new tools nowadays that are that are uh, cost saving. They're saving energy and they're actually exchanging fresh air with outside air with inside air um, through the furnace, through the ventilation systems. And you know, if you're going to invest a couple hundred thousand dollars in a brand new house, these tools are great to at least know what they can do for you and what matters and making sure that that structure stays comfortable. You got air exchange and you got dehumidification. I can't speak for other builders, but we know that Lancey Homes, for Mm -hmm. example, what they do is they have a couple of exhaust fans that kind of run very quietly and they get that stale air out of the house and then other air comes in through the duct the duct system. It's kind of how they do stuff. Yeah. And the thing is too, that uh, the the home builders that we work with, we're giving them the same insight that we're sharing with your listeners today is that, you know, put a dehumidifier in the basement when you're doing new construction. Mm -hmm. And these guys are like, yeah, I can do that. It's not going to cost me more than a couple hundred bucks and and it's going to help dry the structure out. It's going to make everything just go so much easier. Um, So we're, you know, we're we're putting the word out there and and the builders have kind of followed along suit too. So it's great. Yeah. Good. What happens... When this happened at my old house, that's what I'm going to ask. When okay, I can't wait. it's hot outside and you have moisture inside on your windows, mm-hmm. what, what is that just faulty windows or what, what's your thoughts on that, Adam? So from my nerd brain, it is a dew point has been created. What that means is condensation will occur at this surface temperature. So basically what you're saying is I've got, you know, flip it around. Most people have the opposite problem. They've got cold outside and they've got warm, wet air on the inside. So what's happening is our windows or, you know, the the vinyl windows, we've got metal surfaces, surfaces that are cooler to the touch on an exterior wall are attracted to that warmer, wetter air. And that warm, wet air is going to be drawn, it collects, and eventually you have condensation. 
that's probably the most primary thing that we get is phone calls. Hey, we've got mold in our windows. Well, great. Get some you know soap and water, clean it up because it's not that big of a deal. Every every structure has that. Hmm. So that's not something to be alarmed about. No, not at all. That and, and you know our, another call or another concern is you know I've got discoloration in my shower. A great, soap scum is an organic matter that that mold is going to feed off of. Antibacterial detergent, wipe it down. It's done. That's why I wipe down the shower every time. <laughs> Good job. Five. So, from your perspective, I kind of want to back up a little bit and going to more focus on fire and water damage. Sure. Wait, I have one more question for Adam regarding mold. Go ahead. Adam, you say you've been doing this for most almost all your adult life, and when you got involved, were you fearful of the mold because so many people are afraid of mold? Like, do you mask up? Do you wear a hazmat suit? How does that work? What do you look like when you go in and looking at mold? I guess I'm asking what's your protection measure for yourself? That's a great question. And that's where a professional uh, mitigator is important. So in general, when you're doing mold mitigation, you need to work in negative containment, which uh, a lot of folks know what that means nowadays because of the coronavirus. We've got these HEPA air filters. We've got you know hospitals with these machines. And what these machines do is they control the environment where we work. So we don't want to create positive pressure and potentially push that air from wherever we're working to a clean environment. So the first thing is negative air. The second thing is we are, all of our technicians have their HEPA A, HEP B shots. They've got tetanus shots. We wear respirators. We have respirator fit tests on file. We wear Tyvek suits. We wear gloves, actually multiple layers of gloves typically because they get torn during demolition pretty easy. And so all of those safety uh, procedures are in place. Now, as far as how I felt when I got into the industry, it took me probably five or six years before I felt comfortable uh, doing mold mitigation. But once I started learning more about all of those situations, it made me feel more comfortable. And now that I've been doing it for for twenty some years, I I, I kind of laugh because it, it it really is a is a fake or false fear. There's a there's a way to take care of it, and you just have to do it the right way. How does a mold mitigation work? Sorry, I wasn't done with the mold. That's story. question two. <laughs> okay. No, it's a good question. I mean, how, it's a how great does question. how does that work? Because I think most of us know how radon mitigation works. Yep. So how does a mold mitigation work? Okay, so this is the biggest problem that we have. So, and this is the best information your people and you guys are going to take away from this today is that when we have a mold situation, an independent environmental professional should be taking the test and writing the protocol. And that's who you are. We don't do that anymore, actually. So okay. we we don't because. <laughs> There is, uh, it's borderline unethical in our industry. However, there's nothing that regulates our industry in the state of Indiana. There's no licensure. There's nothing protecting consumers. And so as Ross Restoration, we've been trying to get the word out for years. We've been pushing for licensure. We were pushing because many people are getting taken advantage of in this, this industry. So the IEP goes out, he tests, he writes protocol. Protocol is basically a step-by-step -step guideline of what I need to do as a mitigator. I come in, do that work. The IEP comes in after us and tests that environment to make sure that we did it right. They look at our containment procedures. They make sure that our negative pressure was proper. And those guys actually are the ones that certify the work that we do. So homeowners and buyers like yourselves, they know that they got what they paid for. The alternative to that whole situation is that if I've got a, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, I can say anything I want to as far as the species and spore count goes on my reports. So as a mitigator, if I go in there, I write the own, my own protocol. I quote unquote test it for you and then I clean everything up and then I come in to certify my work is being done. You as a consumer have no idea what you just paid for. And unfortunately, 
uh, a lot of people in this 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 marketplace are preying on women with kids, and there's a lot of bad information out there. Hmm. I could see where there's a huge conflict of interest. Amen. So if we suspect mold, we call you, but you take care of all the steps. Like you're going to call the person. We don't have to call that person to come Correct. in. Okay. Yep. So we're going to take all, we're going to take your situation and help guide you through it the best way we can, whether that's an IEP, this guy or that guy to, to get the process started. Um, and another thing, buyer beware, don't ever buy the test at Lowe's, the little Petri dishes that you can take your own test. Those things will show up positive 100% because there is mold everywhere. So the IEP, the, whatever it takes to get you put back and, you know, that could be just the mitigation, could be the education and information, could just be as a resource. We're happy to help in any way, but we, w- we want to make sure that people have all of the information so they can decide for themselves what's the best case scenario and what's the best outcome. Okay. All right. Now you can move on, Tyler. Well, a nice segue is you mentioned process. Yep. I want to get into the process of water and fire damage, okay? And kind of, I guess, speak on both, but then also when they deviate, tell us the difference. So for example, yep. if I have water fire damage, I what do I do? I don't know what to do. I've discovered this stuff or maybe put out the fire or I I find water in my basement. What's next? So let's start with water. So water, obviously the first thing is to figure out the source and correct it. It might be calling a plumber. It might be turning the water off in the house. And in fact, I encourage every one of you out there to, to know where your water shutoff valve is. Make sure your spouse does because you know, when your wife calls you and you're at work or your husband calls you and they're, you know, they're frantic and they've got water pouring through their ceiling and you're like, hey, go to the garage or utility room and shut the valve. They're not going to be able to find that valve. So have a conversation with your spouse. Make sure everybody knows where that, that shutoff valve is. Make sure you have a plumber, one that you use regularly that you trust that, that, that knows you um, because fixing the source is number one. After we get the water source resolved or we at least know what it is and the water's been shut off, then we can start doing what we do. And that process is pretty pretty basic, believe it or not. It, it's um, We're going to make sure that the environment's safe. We're going to secure the environment. And uh, we're going to physically extract the water as much as possible. Then we're going to introduce airflow and dehumidification until the structure's dry. That typically takes three to five days. But the longer something's been wet, the, the more absorption occurs and the longer it's typically going to take for us to get it to dry out. On the fire side, that's that's a whole different beast. So we've got, with our fire side, we've got structural engineers that have to do inspections. We've got the fire department that will do inspections. We've got the insurance company. We've got, you know, causation experts that get involved. And so fire is a whole different beast because every fire is a little bit different. And, and one of the most uh, recent fires that we started, it, it's been... That in- you started? We no. Well, okay. <laughs> then we started our process. And <laughs> so that, that fire occurred over a year ago. And it's a unique situation, but um, it, it's a timely process. So the same thing again, though. We get in there. We, we, we figure out what's been damaged and, and really heavily on documentation. Photograph everything and photograph it twice. Document everything you see. And then basically we work alongside of insurance carriers to provide a scope of work, and we start walking through that process hand-in-hand with the, with the insured. When you have water in the basement you're doing restoration, do you suggest a mold test as well? It depends. Uh, it depends on the water source. If the water source is fresh water from a, a faucet or, um, you know... And how, how long it took correct. to get... Okay. Yeah, if you, if you are the... We get a, a lot of phone calls, believe it or not, on Sunday nights about 630 because everybody's coming home from the lake and they've been gone for three or four days. If you're coming home from the lake and you've got water damage and it smells musty, yeah, we're having a conversation about that. And so mm-hmm. the longer it sits, the more it deteriorates and the more problematic it becomes. You know, you said something really interesting that I find very um, surprising 
is that you don't have any sort of licensing or so how did you get your education and your schooling? Was it all trial and error or how did that work? So we we're not governed. Um, there are states that require licensure. In, in fact, in the state of Florida, it's required by law that if you have mold in your house, that it's two independent parties that are working independently of each other to take care of that situation for you. Testing and mitigation. Uh, as far as my personal career, I started out uh, cleaning carpets at 18 and I don't know why I just fell in love. And so over the years, uh, the, the, there's a lot of available resources and training. So we're trained by the IICRC. I've mentioned that before. It's a, uh, it's just a, a, a governing body that offers water, fire, mold. They offer trauma, biohazard, all kinds of certifications. And they work almost hand in hand with the EPA. So the EPA guidelines are a little bit different than the IICRCs, but when you compare their procedures the EPA's booklet's about 15 pages, where the IICRC could be 250 pages. We've done a lot of research. You think about all the hurricanes that we've had over the last couple decades. All that stuff has been documenting. And, and, and they're taking that data, and they're really doing some cool stuff in our industry with it right now. But we've got a lot of resources and a lot of, a lot of awesome training that's available for us. So we are certified in everything that we do. All of our technicians have different levels of certification for their area of expertise. Some have trauma, OSHA certifications, could be water. This one might be a mold tech. This one might be a fire tech. And, and there are levels of certifications as well. So, This really doesn't have anything to do with fire, but has anybody ever called you out for like if someone has smoked in the house. Yes. Because that's very hard to get that smell out because it just seems like it goes into the walls and things like that. How, how do you guys get that smell out? That's a hard conversation because a lot of times it's mom and dad's house that they're selling that's been smoking there for 30 or 40 years. And, yeah. and it's just like a fire. Wherever that smoke goes, anything porous is going to absorb that odor. And, and you, you know it's everything that's affected by it. So right. it's the vents, the carpets, the walls, the cabinets, you name it, it's got smoke in it. And you've got to either clean that and get rid of it physically, or you've got to seal it up. And so, you know, when you go to sell a house and there's smoke damage, cigarette smoke damage, it's very difficult to get rid of. It's kind of like peeling back an onion. You can keep trying until you finally get the result you're looking for, but it's everything you see. I've had people say, just open up the window, and <laughs> that, that just doesn't work. No, and I was going to say, if you smoke, please don't smoke in your house. Please don't smoke in your house. Yeah. Step outside for a little bit. I, you know, I got a question for you. What is something that, for people listening, would find maybe surprising about your job? Is there something that, like this is a little nugget that people don't think about or is interesting? Yeah, it, it, I think it's great when I talk to new people that I'm just meeting, like, but they ask me like, what do you love most about it? And the, the thing that I go back to always is, um, our core values at our company. The number one on the list is a servant's heart. We love to serve our people in our industry. You either survive maybe three days or a couple weeks, but the people that are in it, my staff and my team that I have, they've been in it for years and, and they're in it to win it. And only because they have a servant's heart. And I think that's one of the best things to share is that you know, it's a tough, stressful job that we do, but it's so rewarding to be able to to show up, you know, with that that scared person and, and walk their family through a trauma because it's a trauma. Sure. It's sad. Oh, yeah. The fire is sad. To, yeah. I, I mean, I experienced that. But and, and the fear of mold. Yeah. Because the minute somebody puts mold, says mold, everybody goes, ah, yep. I don't want it. I don't want to breathe it. I don't want my kids to breathe it. 
How how was that reenactment? That's pretty good. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. My next my next position my next job in life will be an actress. How's that? That's pretty good. Let me elaborate for you on that too, because that's that's one of my biggest passions is with mold. People get scared because they Google it and toxic mold, black mold. Like I said before, it doesn't mean anything to us, and it doesn't mean anything because it came from a court case out of California, and the news got a hold of that word and made it real bad and real scary. So people start Googling it, and of course they find all these vultures that want to sell them all these things. Don't do that. Go to the epa.gov forward slash mold website and you can do a lot of research right there. And just know in a, in a real estate transaction, it's a legal transaction, but you got to arm yourself with that information. Or call or Ross call a Restoration. Yeah. Yeah. This is when you call Adam. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Adam, do you want to kind of let people know how to get a hold of you, your website, if you have, you know, Instagram or anything like that that's kind of social? You kind of let them know how to... Well, how to I'm, find you? I'm in my midlife crisis right now. I'm in my <laughs> 40s, so uh, we, we are on Facebook. It's Ross Restoration, I believe. Uh, we, you can find us at rossrestoration.com. You can call our office at 625-6677, and we would be happy to help you in any way. I don't have anything else for Adam. This was really great. I learned a lot, actually. Yeah, I did too. I mean, you'd think being a dinosaur yeah. in real estate yeah. that uh, it's fun to learn something new every day. And like I said, I've known Adam for a really long time, so I give my personal seal of approval to Adam. Um, just a top-notch person, always willing to help. Um, I think that's one thing I find very attractive about Adam and his company is I'll call him and he's within, on it. Yeah, I just mean, within it. a short amount of time, he's returning the call and trying to help you figure out what it is and very quick to get out there. So uh, I don't think you'd go wrong uh, ask, having Adam and his company come out and see you. No. Thank you. And you don't have Thank to you. buy or sell a house to do that either. I mean, if you're suspecting something's in your home or you've seen something... Or just want peace of mind. Absolutely Amen. give Adam a call. You know, you know, what is peace of mind worth? You know, when Adam was talking about $125 per, you know, area, you know, maybe you have to do two or three different four areas, but what what is that worth at the end sure. of the day? So yeah. Well, Adam, thank you for, yeah. for coming. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. So I'm Tyler Morningstar with uh, Selling Fort Wayne, and this is... Well, you know who I am. Who are you? This Introduce. is Carrie Morningstar, and hey, you can reach me at 260-410-8294. Notice I said my telephone number first, so I have the most experience. Uh, but feel free to call me for any of your and all of your real estate needs. And Tyler, go ahead and give me your number now. Okay. <laughs> 260-433-5385. Hey, one more thing. I'm old school like Adam. I'm even older school than Adam because he could be my son as well. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on... You're hip? Yeah, I'm hip to be square. You're hip? You're cool? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm on Instagram. They can find all this stuff in the show notes of yeah. whatever app that right. they're using. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, any questions, email us, sellingfwpodcast at gmail.com. Thank hey, you. we're looking forward to any questions. We still haven't had we're one yet. Single email. So Not any one. any email, any and all emails, I mean, feel free to give us a shout. All righty. Thank you.